Welcome to Rebel Health Radio, bringing the best in alternative and integrative medicine to your ears. So our journey into studying narcissism, this is um, going to be, I think, the last one I'm going to do on narcissism. Although if anybody has any suggestions for topics you'd like me to cover, then please do. Um, But I I want to sort of move us on a little bit. Um, But just as a quick recap of what we've looked at in previous sessions, and we said that narcissism is a normal part of child development. Okay, so it's not it's not an aberration. It actually should be there. It's a part of growing into who we are, um, usually between the ages of three and five. But with some people who did not get their emotional needs met, it can persist into adulthood. It's meant to be gone through and grown out of. And some people don't. Um, And these people often choose control as a strategy because they are emotionally avoidant. They don't actually want to feel things. They want to control others to keep their anxiety at bay. And like a lot of situations or conditions, narcissism is on a scale. So it's not there's not a a cutoff point when you are a narcissist and you're not. Um, But often we're aware of it when it becomes extreme and controlling. Uh, And as I covered last time, and as you'll see on the recording, um, which I will link in the description, it has many different expressions from overt, they're the ones that we're all aware of, uh, to more covert expressions, ones that perhaps we're not quite sure whether these people are narcissists or not. Um, And the two most common experiences for us as human beings are parental narcissism and and to some extent that's hidden because you grow up with the people you grow up with and you have no idea really at that point whether they are unusual because they are your parents and you just accept the way things are Uh, and perhaps the more obvious ones as we are in adulthood would be uh, work or friendship uh, experiences of of narcissism so and we're going to be covering that a little bit more today as well. Um, Now, don't forget that relationship patterns develop early. So we are simply scripting for ourselves what we know. And therefore, people who attract narcissists are, they're called codependents, Mm. are susceptible because it's familiar to them. It's a familiar feeling. It's a familiar scenario because you often grew up with a narcissistic parent and then you go out and you attract a narcissistic partner, at least uh, initially. Okay. Um, And just to recap also the defining characteristics, because these are really important. So how do you you tell whether someone's a narcissist? Okay, so lack of empathy. They can't feel what others feel. They can't imagine what others feel. Um, They have a sense of entitlement. You know, I'm, I'm important. You should take, pay attention to me. Um, I, the world owes me something, those kinds of things. Uh, some even tend towards the grandiose, you know, um, I am the most excellent at this or that. You know, I'm, I'm beyond everybody else's abilities. I'm just really special. And then there's a sense of superficiality as well, with judging what others may think or, or uh, how they are perceived. And, and so it's not so much feeling as, as the connection with what others think of them. 
And then there's a chronic seeking of validation, praise or recognition. And I've put it in brackets here, Facebook, because that's the kind of thing we see all over Facebook is, you know, uh, tell me how beautiful I'm looking. Tell me how wonderful my children are. You know, look at this wonderful birthday party I had, et cetera, et cetera. It, it kind of encourages narcissism to a great degree because it's so unreal, Facebook. Uh, it's not the only one, of course. I'm not. Don't sue me, Facebook. You know, there are others out there that do the same. Uh, a tendency to rage uh, is common also in narcissists. So they, because they can't self-soothe, they're not able to regulate their own nervous system. And so they will explode at various points because they simply uh, don't know how to calm themselves. And arrogance, you know, believing you're better than everyone else and that the other person has no right to an opinion. So that's also a very important characteristic. Okay, so I wanted to come on. We've covered in, in the last few sessions, we've looked more at uh, personal love relationships. But today I wanted to look at a very common scenario, which is the narcissistic boss or co-worker, um, which I've had. I, I tended to attract these kinds of people myself, actually, funnily enough. Um, now, when you have a, a, a narcissistic boss or a dominant co-worker, you actually seem to create a very toxic work culture. You'll notice because it feels really uncomfortable. Everybody feels judged. Nobody feels supported. And it actually disempowers the others. So you feel like you have no voice. You feel like you don't matter. Um, and, and it's a very uh, distinct uh, manipulation by that person. You see, they like to divide and rule. Um, isolating you is what they do. It's their modus operandi, if you like, um, because to separate you out from each other means they cannot be challenged. And that's really important to the narcissist because they have to keep this, this fiction that they are the best at everything going. Now, funnily enough, at work, they can be difficult to spot initially Remember, narcissists are quite charming as well. That's one of their characteristics, at least in the beginning. And so you may come in and think, oh, this person's very charming and they're very confident and how lovely. Um, but they may change after a while and start to undermine you. But of course, it is generally easier to leave a, a work situation than a love relationship if you notice that it's happening. That's not to say that everyone can just up sticks and, and change their jobs, but you can have an exit plan. Um, it's much more difficult in personal relationships, particularly if there are children involved. So um, it can involve bullying, but much more often it's a subtle form of humiliation. So it's showing you up in front of other people, putting you down, um, making a show of you and your vulnerability. And one of the ways in which you can kind of really challenge narcissism in the workplace is to get together with other co-workers, not in the sense of gossiping, you know, the photocopier kind of thing, because that doesn't really, that's not an empowered state. It's more sort of saying, this doesn't work. What are we going to do about it? In other words, getting allies, get, if, if you're called into a meeting with the narcissist, making sure you have a witness do not let them isolate you. 
because as I say, they love to isolate and therefore they'll always be their version of events. You need somebody who can corroborate your point of view. And as I said, work on an exit strategy. I had to do this. One of my first jobs was working um, in medical research and it was it had great, great plans for this job. I was supposed to be allowed time to study and learn all about um, it was in a muscular dystrophy unit. And what it turned out to be was bottle washing and wiping down tables and benches all day. And my boss was a complete narcissist and uh, it didn't take me very long to realize I wasn't going to be able to work with him. So very sadly, I had to leave that job. Um, but working on an exit strategy means you actually are no longer stuck. So even if you can't live, leave immediately, you can at least get into the idea that this isn't forever. And that is so, so important when you're stuck there. And then I, I thought I'd talk about defending a friend. This was my first slide about friendship, defending a friend in a narcissistic relationship. You're, you're going to laugh when you see the next slide. Um, this is a slight variation on this. But anyway, if somebody you know is in a narcissistic relationship, there are certain things you can and can't do that are going to help that person. Um, the first, and it is really important is not to call their partner out, not to say, oh, your partner is really not a narcissistic. He or she is really terrible. You, you, you're in real trouble because, of course, remember, the person has chosen them, uh, at least at the beginning and, and found them to be perfect. So it's going to lead to defensiveness if you kind of go all in trying to kind of like a white knight on a horse, you know, um, uh, call that out. More importantly is to listen and empathize with their pain, but also with the underscore, the, the quiet suggestion that that's not okay behavior. Now, I, I had that situation in my first relationship, and I remember friends of mine saying, we're so surprised you've ended up with someone like that. And I would say someone like what? Because I really didn't see it. And then they would say to me, well, you know, you're always on the back foot. You're always being criticized. You're always in fear of doing something wrong. And I began to realize that actually that was the situation and maybe that wasn't OK. And you can also point out patterns. Patterns are very indicative, aren't they, of anything. When you have a pattern, you know, there's something underlying it. You know, something keeps repeating. If, if you see that your friend is always being told off or always being humiliated or talked down to, then it's good to recognize that and draw their attention to it. And because it, it's corroboration, corroboration, this is not random. Okay. Because a lot of people who are in narcissistic relationships will, will dismiss the behaviors as just one of those things, or, or it only happened once. Um, he or she didn't mean it, you know, they will defend themselves. But when you point out the pattern, it really, it's, it's a corroboration that, that something is not right. And finally, just asking, how can I help? Um, letting them know that you're there in an emergency, because with certainly with the very extreme narcissistic relationships, um, there is going to be a, a crunch point at some point in time. And so that your friend knows that you're there. And then I thought, but what about if your friend is the narcissist? <laughs> so 
I thought this would be an also an interesting talking point and maybe something we'll discuss in a moment. So how do you know if your friend is a narcissist? Okay, remember this isn't a thing, it's a, it's a scale, it's a grade. So, you know, there may be different variations of this. So, and this came up this week with a client actually as well, who described a certain friend that she'd lost contact with and their love and support is conditional upon certain approved behaviors. So they, they will be there for you when you behave in certain scripted ways that they approve of. And if you deviate from those approved behaviors, they will cut you off. And this is how they seek to control you in subtle ways, um, because they will tell you, oh, that's great. I'm so glad you're doing whatever the approved behavior is. Or, um, well, I don't think that works for me if, if you decide to uh, vary it. They will also seek out constant praise. So they're, they're looking for you to corroborate their or validate their self-esteem. Well, they don't have self-esteem. They're looking for you to uh, corroborate them as an individual. And so they're going to keep asking for praise in, in covert and overt ways. They will always prioritize their own needs, right? So supposing you're organizing a party or something, they'll be the one that says, well, you know, I want you to come and pick me up at this time and, and then we'll go and deal with the other people. It's kind of like their needs are first. And they have extremely high expectations of their friends. So, as I said, they kind of set you up for the fall here, really. Um, and, of course, you're, at some point in the relationship, you are going to fail. And here's the definitive thing, really, is that they often end friendships very suddenly when you, uh, it should say, when you no longer serve them or the friendship no longer serves them. So they cut you off if you dare not uh, to not supply. You know, if you think of it as sort of supplying, it's a bit like a drug. You're, you're giving them what they need to feel good emotionally. And when you stop doing that, they will summarily cut you off. And so that's a good sort of rule of thumb of narcissistic behaviours in friends. And then I thought we'd talk a little bit about how to disarm a narcissist. Now, this is, this is a toolbox, okay? Um, a narcissist can and will hold anything you say against you. They have great memories, which makes it critical to proceed with caution because narcissists love it when you go into defensive mode. It's like the red rag to the ball and they know how to attack you. They know how to push all your buttons. And so in many cases, it's best not to uh, engage with a narcissist and their toxic behavior at all. Uh, it's actually better to kind of opt to walk away from the situation if you can. But of course, that's not always possible in, in love relationships. So rule number one really is do not argue or defend, all right? which is very difficult for us to do as codependents because we'll want to um, put our point across. We expect others to view the world in the way we do and we want people to see that this is just the most easy way to do something and you know, our point is really valid. But we get defensive and then we start to argue. So you have to 
step out of that arena and actually make short, benign statements. Do not give them a handle. I see your point. (laughs) Doesn't mean you agree with them. (laughs) We can agree to disagree, you know, because that's true. Uh, I hear you, but I see it differently. Or you could say, I'm willing to work this out, but I am not willing to be insulted or yelled at. Now, one of my clients actually did that with her husband. And because he wasn't the most extreme form of narcissist, he was sort of moderately. um, That actually helped her a lot. He he stopped the behavior. So believe me, this stuff does work. And of course, the the biggest thing is to work on your own self-esteem and to really know that you do not deserve this. This isn't your problem. Um, There may be things about you that attract it that are unconscious, but that doesn't mean you are uh, lesser than or you are guilty in some way. You do, however, have to take responsibility for your life and starting to learn how to put yourself first, you know, self-care. It's not selfish. It's actually self-loving. And so there's lots you can do. And I thought next time, unless anyone comes up with a better suggestion we're going to look at building self-esteem what is self-esteem and how to kind of create it hey hope you enjoyed listening to rebel health radio do subscribe and look forward to catching you soon